Welcome back to Foundational Thoughts, the podcast, the Missouri Baptist Foundation. My name is Neil, your host, and we're in a series now. Really, this is part two of a series of a conversation that I've been having with Tim Menzendiek. And Tim and I were talking last time at our previous podcast about culture. And so, Tim, thanks again for joining me here. And last time we talked, we were talking about culture in lots of different environments, but you had a special definition that defined culture. So in your mind, when we talk about culture, what is culture? How we do things around here. How we do things around here. And around here could be around the kitchen at the house. Business, family, church world, uh, nonprofit world, foundation world, how we do things around here. And, And a lot of the rules are kind of the same, whether it's a Christian environment or a pagan environment or somewhere in between. Yeah, there, there, there's no such thing as, a, as an entity without culture. Okay. The question is not whether you have culture. The question is, first and foremost, is it a healthy culture? Mm. That's the key. Okay. I like to use this analogy. Um, two different approaches to uh, agriculture, to biology. The first is what I call the plantation model. Okay. In the plantation model, everything is in its pretty row. It's all uniform. It's all, uh, you know, ordered. Right. Drive down the highway. It's all lined up. Yeah, yep. exactly. Beautiful. It's, it's all lined up. Well, culture can be that way. Okay. You can have culture that's based on rules. It's based on how things are supposed to look and so forth. But then there's another culture that I like to call the rainforest culture. Okay. And the thing about the Amazon rainforest is it's a really, really scary place to be. And you can't pluck anything out of the rainforest because you don't know what kind of integration happens between the elements in the rainforest. Okay. I see that uh, practically even in ministry in Jesus' life. Why would he spend time with the woman at the well? Why would he spend time with a woman taken in adultery? See, the gospel's really about the rainforest. Mm. Human beings are broken. It's scary out there. The lepers are important too. And so if you think about culture, is your culture a plantation where everything is ordered and it has to run by particular rules? Mm-hmm. Or is it about relationships even between scary things? And you're advocating the, the latter there, not the former, just to I'm make sure that I understand it. Because I, I like everything lined up when I drive by, Tim. I like all that. That looks really <laughs> nice and clean and... Happy, but that may not always be healthy. It's not always healthy. Okay. Exactly. It's about relationships. What are the interrelationships that happen in the rainforest between something that you look at and think, well, that's a scrub plant? Throw some Roundup on that. That's not important. But you can't uh, do something like that without destroying the ecosystem of the culture of the rainforest. You know, when you were first using that illustration, my mind was kind of thinking about what I call a family chapel church, which is kind of a smaller congregation of 40 or 50 or 60 people, wonderful people, loving the Lord, doing great for missions, but everyone's related to everyone in that congregation. That's right. And uh, a new pastor, when I was young, Mm -hmm. came into a congregation like that going, hey, well, this doesn't make any sense, that doesn't make any sense, and you start making changes without understanding the interactions and the interrelationships, the, almost the unwritten rules that are not handed to you by the search committee, 
And it almost takes some time to figure those rules out. And you're saying that that's not necessarily bad. I've seen that environment be unhealthy oftentimes, but you're saying that's not necessarily an indicator of health, that that actually could be done in a healthy way? Right, exactly. You know, that reminds me, Neil, that probably what's referred to in the secular world as the Bible of culture is a book by John Cotter. Okay. It's called Leading Change. Oh, yes, great book. Great book. Eight Steps to Transforming a Culture Within an Organization. And I think that uh, it's sort of the underpinning of this book is this idea that uh, every culture is different and that if you aren't skilled, to come back to that word again, skilled in understanding culture and how to lead change, you can have every good intention in the world toward a great project that could be very beneficial Yet if you don't understand the culture, you'll blow things up and destroy things. I I think of the book, for some reason, Who Moved My Pulpit? Uh, Little things in church world can absolutely blow up things, right? Sure. Somebody took the stained glass picture off the wall or the pulpit or the carpet got changed. All of these things are elements of culture, but it really boils down to how we do things around here relationally. And it's the relationship that takes the hit when the church isn't healthy. And hence, you, how many church splits have we seen over decisions about carpet or whether you're going to have a building program or the nursery program or praise and worship or whatever? That's why it all comes back again to this whole idea of not just how we do things around here, but how we do relationships. And you were talking last time as we spoke when it comes to creating that culture, maintaining that healthy culture, that one of the keys is going to be the leader understanding their own brokenness, owning their own understanding of that, being vulnerable to the people, and then the people responding to that, which as a leader, you know, I would often say, and I think I halfway believed it, but but people would ask me, uh, hey, what's the biggest problem of your church? And I would say, well, it's always me because I'm the one who limits everything else that we can do. I think I believe that halfway uh, most of the time. But it really does re- depend upon that leader being vulnerable and the people accepting a vulnerable leadership. But oftentimes the, the leader can't do that for a variety of reasons, but you pointed out one last time that I want us to spend some time talking about is oftentimes I can't be vulnerable, especially in a leadership position, whether it's a CEO for a company or for a church, because of something I'm hiding or the shame that I feel. You kind of talked about that a little bit. What do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, the first mention of shame in the Bible is in Exodus chapter 32 and, and shame and nakedness go together, right? The story of Adam and Eve being transparent, being vulnerable about who I am as a human being is extremely difficult. I think for this reason, we are designed to live our lives in the circle of love and truth, speak the truth in love. When that circle gets broken Life tends to fall apart, and I think you see in Genesis chapter 3, the two things that happen when that circle is broken is fear and shame. Okay, so we've got love and truth on one side. Love and truth. On one side, and then fear and shame. Fear and shame on on the the other other side. Okay. So 
I'm consciously ashamed of myself. I'm feeling bad about myself. Unfortunately, we don't learn good lessons growing up in how to manage shame and understand that 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 grace is is the antidote. Vulnerability is the means, but grace, when I receive grace in the midst of my shame, it destroys shame. Perfect love cast out fear. Grace cast out shame. The the problem that I have is deep down inside, I know if you really knew me, if you really knew about me, that you wouldn't want to get to me. And so there's a fear of rejection okay. that comes in after that. Neil, that happens in families. It happens in church world. And, and to go back specifically to leaders inside the church, I can't tell you how many pastors I've visited with over the years who managed their career as a pastor in a church out of fear. They had no place to go to talk about what was really going on inside. They were ashamed about some aspect of what they've done. It might be something as simple as being a bad administrator. Uh, Lots of pastors out there can exegete scripture and they can preach great sermons and so forth. But when it comes down to administrating things, kind of on the short end of the stick. So admitting to the deacon board or the board of directors or whatever that, boy, guys, I'm, I'm really struggling here with the administration of my job is something that you would never want to do because too many guys that I've talked to will say, yeah, but if they know that about me, I'm not going to have a job anymore. So at this point, you're not talking about a, a catastrophic sin necessarily. No. You're not talking about an incredible no. moral failure that I've embezzled money or I'm having an adulterous relationship. You're not talking about those kinds of shame because there's some legitimacy to those kind of shame. I'm sure that you would talk about, but you're talking about something less than that, that there shouldn't be the shame there, but that shame, because it sort of is kind of like mold, I guess, in the cold, (laughs) wet places, it grows and grows and grows. Yeah, it does. It grows and grows and grows. And what happens is when you're ashamed and over the process of time from the stress of running the church and the stress of uh, preparing sermons and all those things, eventually those little blocks lead to bigger blocks, and eventually something catastrophic might happen. But living your life in a way in which you are vulnerable with other people and willing to talk about your shortcomings with your staff, when, like we were saying in the last section, our session, when you make a mistake, to raise your hand and go, hey, guilty. <laughs> I made a mistake. That in, I've always found uh, with my staff and, and even with my daughter, I have a 21-year-old daughter, when you admit you made a mistake and you raise your hand, you create a, a culture of grace because people around you know it's okay to make a mistake. And in the church, we at least have some terminology for that. We have grace. But when you move into the business environment or you – move into, you know, we're at the end of football season right now, so there's a new coach being fired every single day because they didn't win as many as Nick Saban did, whoever the comparison <laughs> is. Uh, there's not as much grace there, it doesn't seem like, but there's also that shame in business environments as well. So whether we're talking about a pastor or a layperson or even a person who is not a follower of Jesus Christ, what what's the, what's something healthy that we can do? What's a healthy first step when we feel some of that shame 
Is that just to blurt it out to everybody? Is that to go to social media and tell everybody how bad we are at that? Or no. is there another way to do that? How do we do that? Help us. The, the way to do that is to have what we call safe people in your life. Okay. I love people. I don't trust everybody. The Bible says that you trust people who are trustworthy. So I think everybody, including the pastor, any leader, needs people in his or her life who are safe people. What do I mean by safe people? Safe people are people that I can sit down and tell them about my life or tell them something I'm struggling with, tell them about my bitterness in the moment, and they're not going to reject me mm. because of my sin. And is that is that agree is that an agreement you have beforehand? Has has a safe person? Will you be my safe person? Yeah. I don't know how we're talking about. How do, yeah. how do you build that with well, people? Well, I, I, I'll give you the, the the best tip I know. Okay. Um, if you want to find a safe person, go find out how safe they are by asking yourself this question: What do I know about you and your struggles? If you're an open person, if you're a vulnerable person. Because safe people will always be people who own their stuff. Hmm. Always. Whether it's a boardroom, whether it's a family. You know, I remember uh, several times uh, over the years having to go back to my daughter after I did a stupid thing as a parent and as a dad. And I went back to her and I said, Blair, you know, I, I didn't do that right. And that, that was really, that, was, that just wasn't right. I really screwed up there and I'm, I'm really sorry. Neil, I can't think of one time that I did that, that my daughter didn't look at me and say, oh, Daddy, it's okay. Mm -hmm. I believe there are church members and I believe there are employees who would say the same thing to a business owner or a pastor if they were a safe person. Oh, Neil, that's okay. Oh, Bob, that's okay. Because we were built for relationship, and God has given us these incredible tools to keep not only the culture, but to keep the relationships healthy. And do you think the Lord may have some of those people already in our sphere of influence, if we'll just look and pray? Yeah, I, I, I literally have never been in a place yet where 100% of the culture has been caustic and unsafe. Sure. No matter where you go. And sometimes it's where you least expect it. You're going to find safe people. But to find safe people, you have to know what you're looking for. And look for the vulnerability and the openness in the life of the leader to go first and to, and to create a culture where it's okay if you screw up. Should that be somebody within your congregation if you're a pastor or outside, or does it matter as long as they're a safe person? I would say this. Certainly, it takes a while to develop that kind of a culture inside a church. Um, in each congregation, I'll bet you every pastor out there has probably at least one. Uh, whether you want to uh, call it a life team or whatever, you, you get these these people together, whether it's inside the church or outside the church, and love on the person Tell them what you see, but don't bring judgment down on the person. Bring truth forward. The Bible says that the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Because shame and guilt was never the design. It's the response of sin 
and our inability or our choice not to go back to our Father with that vulnerability and openness and honesty. But you're saying with love and truth, with some safe people, that can really begin to turn around a culture, especially the culture of that leader as he comes in or she comes in. I think the most important element of culture is that peace. Mm. Well, Tim, thanks for spending some time today with me. We're going to come back and have another session as we talk about culture, and we're probably going to start talking about how do we create a new culture if we're going into one? How do we heal a culture that's in, in danger or in crisis? And then maybe even how do we continue to make the, the, the culture get better even when things are going well? This is a Foundational Thoughts, the podcast, the Missouri Baptist Foundation. My name is Neil, your host, and thanks for joining us. 